In order to understand Batman Arkham Origins, you need to understand how, and more importantly, why it was created. You see, usually when a game is developed, it starts from an idea. Effectively, a spark from one creative individual or a team of them who all congeal their ideas into one broader concept. From that point, they push and pull with the idea until they eventually have something that they can work with, and at that point, they begin to conceptualize how the game will actually work. This is true of games that are the first in their franchises, and also true of sequels that come after story, world, and atmosphere have been established. When this isn't the case, you end up with a game that is incredibly bland and is what we would usually call uninspired. It lacks soul and passion, and there's a notable feeling of mediocrity that sprinkles the entire landscape of the map. And unfortunately, this seems to be the case with Batman Arkham Origins, as I will discuss and explain over the course of the next few minutes. You see, in February of 2013, it was reported that a new game in the Batman Arkham franchise would be released by a developer other than Rocksteady, the development studio that had headed up the development on Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City. When we all found out about this, I think a lot of us were confused. I mean, why would Warner Brothers take away the rights to the franchise and give it to somebody else? However, as we learned, this isn't actually what happened. Warner Brothers allowed Rocksteady to continue developing the project that they were currently slaving away on, and then they added in another studio to make sure that they didn't go three, four, or even five years without a Batman Arkham title. And so Warner Brothers looked around, trying to find a studio that was capable of picking up the series from Rocksteady while they worked on a truly next generation experience. And I think I and a lot of other people expected them to hand this series over to a highly qualified group of individuals, somebody who had worked on an incredibly successful franchise and had made a name for themselves, somebody who could take the reins from one of the most prolific development studios in the last five to 10 years. However, Warner Brothers didn't wanna look outside their own wheelhouse, and so they started looking at development studios within their own purview to develop the next Arkham game. Eventually, they came across Warner Brothers Montreal, who had worked on the Wii U adaptation and port of Batman Arkham City, which allowed them to get familiar with the engine that was being used by Rocksteady, which would also have to be used for the next Arkham game, seeing as how most of the source code was developed specifically for that engine. And so, with all of this in mind, Warner Brothers handed over the reins of the franchise to Warner Brothers Montreal in order to let them develop a spin-off title in the same family as the Arkham games, but set up as a prequel to even Arkham Asylum. Effectively, the development philosophy for this game was going to be that what was established in Batman Arkham City worked very well for the franchise. That game was critically acclaimed and was, by many accounts, one of the most successful and impressive games to release in that year. As a result, the general attitude was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so, Warner Brothers Montreal didn't actually change much of anything in this game at all from Batman Arkham City. In fact, even things such as ice grenades have even just been reskinned into glue grenades using a lot of the same animations and textures just with different specular maps to make them look like glue instead of ice. It's 
kind of hilarious. Now I want to stress this doesn't mean that the game isn't going to be good because Batman Arkham City was clearly one of my favorite games of all time and is one of the best games in the entire franchise, if not the best game in the franchise. But it's important to stress and to accept that this game was not born out of some brilliant idea, but was rather started purely as a cash grab to prevent too much time from being in between Arkham releases. Now it's also important to note that Warner Brothers Montreal was not out stranded by themselves on the development of this project. They did have Rocksteady and representatives from Rocksteady coming in periodically to help them with engine work or game mechanics, different technical issues that they would run into with the engine or source code. However, the only thing that Warner Brothers Montreal handled themselves in-house with some contractors was the plot. They took inspiration from the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight and the graphic novel Batman Year One, basically establishing Batman Arkham Origins as, as you would expect, the origin story for Batman and a lot of the supervillains that he's going to be encountering over the course of the next few games. Now you might be wondering why I'm spending the time to go through all of this when we're doing a critique of the game. Why is this important? Well, this is important because it explains a ton about this game. Everything about it, from the texturing, to the level design, to the buildings and different assets they used, even to the multiplayer that they put in, was all developed with one end in mind. And that end was of course established by Batman Arkham City, which received many Game of the Year awards, was highly praised critically and commercially very successful. Warner Brothers thought that they were sitting on a cash cow with this franchise and that they could do pretty much whatever they wanted with it, pushing and pulling it wherever they wanted, in order to milk it for every dollar it was worth. And this is the unfortunate thing about the game. Once you've noticed this, it's really hard to unsee it. Seriously, so much of this game is copy and pasted from Batman Arkham City into Arkham Origins that at times it's straight up comical. As I described earlier with the ice grenades now simply being renamed glue grenades, having the exact same mechanic being used to patch vents and to create floating objects for you to walk on. Or even another example with Titan containers from Arkham City simply now being rebranded as dangerous chemicals, but the same thing is true, they're just big tanks that you're expected to blow up. They even copy in a lot of gameplay and narrative beat moments from Arkham City, such as the moment in Arkham City where Batman becomes infected with a toxin and is on the verge of death, on death's door, and barely survives. In this game, it's a fight against Copperhead, but don't worry, we're gonna talk about all of this in a moment. For all of these reasons, the game really just feels like a big expansion for Arkham City. Nothing is done differently. I mean, if you ask yourself, what's the difference between an expansion and a new game? Most people would say that the new game would be expected to shake things up, do some things differently, and have developed the gameplay mechanics beyond that of its predecessor. It's for this reason that a lot of expansions, such as Blood and Wine, which we've been playing over on Twitch, could be classified as its own standalone Witcher game. After all, it adds 25 hours of gameplay with all sorts of new stories to be told, in addition to many gameplay-altering improvements and mechanisms that have now been put in place. But at the same time, it's also why a game such as Arkham Origins feels so much like a cash grab or a poorly put-together expansion. 
design because it doesn't do anything differently from the predecessor other than some flashier cutscenes that were pre-rendered. There's also other things that are a little weird to me, such as the graphics, at least to me, seeming to be significantly worse. Everything looks very flat and dry. There's not much texture to the world. There's very little color other than the Christmas decorations that have been put up. It just doesn't look as good as even Batman Arkham City. Maybe it's because my nostalgia factor is just way off the charts and Arkham City holds a very near and dear place in my heart, which it certainly does, but it seems to me that the game certainly doesn't look better than Batman Arkham City, if that's the standard. Furthermore, the game world is actually the most empty of any of the game worlds in the entire series. And if you want to challenge me on that, I encourage you to go watch a video I did recently on the 32nd rule of the Batman Arkham series, where I actually used an Excel spreadsheet and a calculator and all sorts of predictive and descriptive analytics to go through these games and their worlds to figure out how they're built and whether or not they work. I don't want to beat a dead horse, so I'm not going to reiterate the entire video for you here. But the point is effectively that Batman Batman Arkham Origins world feels the least alive and impressive of any game in the series. Furthermore, beyond all of this is the real kicker, which are consistent glitches and a lack of polish throughout. Now I should point out that for this critique, I played through the game again on my PC, recording all of the footage that you've been watching throughout the course of this video. Now I can't say for certain, but from my research and from the people that I've spoken to over on the Discord and on Twitter, it seems as though the PC port of this game has been roundly mocked for being terrible. So it's probably just a PC port issue, but it is still a factor. Regardless though, I think it's important to point out the experience that I had while playing through the game. After all, you came to this video to see my thoughts on the game. I might as well show you all of the weird and funny glitches that I encountered while playing through it. It only seems fair. But far and away, the most severe issue I encountered was when the game crashed consistently and repeatedly in the same area over the course of about an hour. And I actually googled this very error code and it seems to be a common issue with the PC port of Batman Arkham Origins. It can occur anywhere from the menu to a loading screen to the ending credits, but I'm just glad that I was able to get past it because apparently for some people, this is a straight up game breaking bug that was never patched out and can delete save files and even lock you out of the game entirely. But that's enough of that. Let's talk for a moment about the in-game cutscenes versus the pre-rendered cutscenes that are all over the place. Pre-rendered cutscenes are a lot like a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They give a lot and they take a lot. They can improve the experience and they can also make it way worse. It really just depends on the context and the time that they show themselves. In the case of Batman Arkham Origins, these things are all over the place. And in some cases, it's a welcomed addition. These cutscenes look significantly better. They allow for improved facial animations and everything looks really, really good in these moments, especially cutscenes with the Joker. The only issue is when they immediately cut back to an in-game cutscene because for whatever reason they weren't able to develop it fully and it can be very, very jarring. You see, a lot of people would think that these pre-rendered cutscenes would be a good thing, or in other words, a net positive, because after all, if they allow for the cutscene to seem higher fidelity and higher quality, 
why wouldn't that improve the overall experience? Well, the main issue is just that players can tell that they are pre-rendered cutscenes, and that doesn't seem like it should be an issue, but it actually is when you're playing through the game and trying to get through a story fluidly. I mean, why do you think that Naughty Dog with The Last of Us Part Two or Uncharted 4 or even Sony Santa Monica with the newest God of War or Rockstar with the newest Red Dead Redemption 2? Why do you think these studios avoid using pre-rendered cutscenes but instead choose to go the route of in-game cutscenes with higher fidelity meshes being swapped out? It comes down to one word and that is fluidity. The fact that you can go between one cutscene and another and then a gameplay sequence and then back to a cutscene without ever having to cut to black or have the player feel as though they're shifting between a cutscene and a gameplay sequence. It's jarring and it's something that belongs in the past. Now this was a thing to some extent in Batman Arkham City. They did use pre-rendered cutscenes in that game. However, it was too much less of a flashy extent. I don't know how to phrase it other than that the cutscenes in this game, Batman Arkham Origins, feel like cutscenes. They don't feel like extensions of the gameplay. Whereas in Arkham City, the meshes look similar. They're not as flashy. The camera work isn't crazy cinematic. It's not jarring. This is a small complaint, I grant you, but I think it is significant because I noticed many times feeling disappointed when I got back to the in-game character model after having watched a really beautiful cutscene. And in my research, it seems as though the reason that this is the case is because the development studio over at Warner Brothers Montreal actually outsourced these cutscenes to another subsidiary studio who handled just those cinematic cutscenes. This means that Warner Brothers Montreal was never able to develop the animation system within the game and especially on characters' face models and character models beyond the very rudimentary basis that they had established earlier because all of the major narrative moments were going to be told by way of pre-rendered cinematics. But while we're on this topic, I do want to stress that I find Troy Baker's efforts as the Joker to be really impressive. I actually got to hand it to him. When I found out that Troy Baker, the same guy that played Joel from The Last of Us, was going to be playing the Joker, I was baffled and I was buckled in and ready to see what he had to bring to the table, but honestly, he did a fantastic job and should be very proud. I mean, this guy is coming after Mark Hamill, one of the greatest, if not the greatest voice actor to ever play the Joker, ever. I mean, he is a monolith in and of himself, and to come in and tackle the character of the Joker after one of those greats is a, a lofty feat. So I gotta applaud Troy Baker, really fantastic job. And beyond this, the writing is actually decent enough. The Christmas theme is fun, and I actually enjoyed it immensely, and... I gotta say, there were some really concerted efforts and consistent attempts at making this game world and the story way darker and more evil than in games past. Sure, there was killing and there was death and there were horrible things that went on in Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, but they tended to maintain a fairly cartoon-like vibe comic book feel, if you will. But in this game, especially thanks to the cinematics, they feel much grittier, much darker, much more real, and that's something I can appreciate. And it's a trend that we saw even more doubled down upon with Batman Arkham Knight, the game that we're going to be discussing 
next. So make sure that you subscribe to be notified of when that critique goes up. And this has become a bit of a tradition at this point, so I felt I would carry it on by pointing out my favorite cutscene and moment, narratively speaking, in the entirety of the game. And for this game, it actually ends up being the moment where Joker turns on Electrocutioner. And I, I won't spoil it, I'll just play it for you now. Appreciate and savor this moment. <laughs> Got that, Mr. Cushioner? Just who the hell? Are you? I'm the guy with the money. And the gun. <laughs> so, when I hire you to kill the Batman, you shut the hell up and kill the Batman! So do you have anything else to contribute? I didn't think so. <laughs> See what I mean? It's way darker, it's way grittier, it's something when I first played this game years ago didn't expect to see at all, and just like Batman feels, the player ends up saying to themselves, this guy's different, the Joker is not messing around, I need to be careful. Now as for the gameplay, really there's not much to say. It's all just reskinned, but they put in many more boss fights that try to be memorable, but inevitably end up being more quick time heavy events. But don't worry, I'll talk about this more in a second when I address Copperhead specifically. Most of the tools have made a comeback in this game from the rope launcher to the remote controlled batarang. All these things are back and in full force. And like I stated earlier, some of the mechanisms are back, but they've been reskinned or have a fresh coat of paint so that it makes sense in the narrative, such as the ice grenade now being a glue grenade. It literally works in the exact same way it just has to be called something different because of course Batman had that invented for him in Batman Arkham City it wouldn't make sense for him to have it in a prequel to that game and really it's just more of the same Batman Arkham City is one of my favorite games of all time and the gameplay system has just been control seed and control V right back over to this game it feels very, very similar. The only major difference that I will mention is that in the stealth sequences, of which there are plenty, I noticed the AI feeling as though it were significantly decreased in terms of intelligence compared to that of the previous games. Many times I was able to get away with things I knew I probably shouldn't have been able to get away with, especially with regards to the silent takedown, and as far as I can tell, the only reason this was the case was because of the AI. I play these games on the hardest difficulty setting that they offer, and so I don't think it's tied to the difficulty setting. But I did notice myself many times saying to myself, that shouldn't have worked. 
when it did. Now as for the boss fights, there's a lot in this game, and they're actually a welcomed addition, and I think it's something that Batman Arkham City could have played around with a lot more. You know, bigger fights that are built up much more are more difficult and require a lot more effort on the part of the player. The problem is that most of these boss fights tend to fit into one of a few categories. Either they're just a bunch of different smaller enemies protecting a larger enemy, such as a mini-boss, or it's a large guy that's then protected by littler guys after you start to deal damage, and then you have to clear the smaller guys out and move on to the big guy right after. It's a wash and repeat process, and very rarely do you encounter boss fights where it's just you one-on-one -on -one with a difficult opponent. And I will be honest, this is not an end-all be-all. That's okay, especially considering the free-flow combat system tends to work best when you're juggling enemies together, bouncing between many all over the arena that you're fighting in. That's when this game feels like it's at its best, when you're racking up the combo counter into the high 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and just slaying. That's when it works best. So to have a single opponent that you're just beating up on, dodging, and trying to use tools and abilities to defeat, doesn't tend to work very well, but the Solomon Grundy fight, I would say, is an example of when it's done correctly and well. They have a simple mechanic that ties together, and then you have to deal with them. But these Arkham City examples don't do us a lot of good when we bring it over to Arkham Origins, because, of course, this game didn't have the same development team, and so they tended to rest on the same laurels of throwing many opponents at the player and hoping that they figure it out. But the specific boss example that I wanted to address is of course Copperhead. The reason I want to talk about Copperhead is because she is the perfect example of everything that this game is. The fight against her is bland, repetitive, and in other words, just more of the same. It's more of the same in a micro and macro level. Clearly, this is an attempt at Rachel Ghoul's moment in Batman Arkham City. The only problem is that it fails at this. Everything from the way the combat in this boss fight works, in this case having lots of duplicates and mini fighters come at you all at once, to the moment where you find out that Batman has been poisoned and it's, oh no, Batman's dying again and needs an antidote very quickly, and then it's all better and everything's resolved and everything's great and they just move about their day. Furthermore, at this moment, Copperhead has just poisoned Batman and he's dying and she even says, out loud with every effort you hasten your end and then she just leaves <laughs> like she knows that if she pushes him he'll die faster and she's only gonna get paid if he dies but she just poises him and then leaves she's like being super lazy at this point I don't understand this at all. She could have just hopped down, punched him a little bit, made him work really hard to defend himself, and then he would have keeled over, died, she would collect her paycheck. But instead, she leaves him to walk out and get the cure from Alfred and is upset that she didn't get the paycheck. It's, it's really stupid. And that's the point. The whole game is like this fight. It's more of the same, which is fine, because City was so good, but it fails to bring anything new to the table and honestly just leaves players asking, why did this even need to be made? And the simple answer to that question is cash money. 
I'm gonna make it rain. I enjoyed Batman Arkham Origins because I love all of the Arkham games. I think they're fun and the fluid combat system is always a blast. But if I paid $60 for this game, I would be upset which is why thankfully now you can get it anywhere between $5 and 15, depending on the day. And listen, I understand that a lot of people love Arkham Origins for one reason or another. The fact that it's a prequel, the fact that it's tonally different than the other games, the fact that it's not Arkham Knight, I understand that. But objectively, this game is the least ambitious in the series. I honestly don't see how you could argue any other way. You can enjoy the game, like I do, but that doesn't put it in anywhere near the spheres of influence as its predecessors or its successor. But that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for watching. Honestly and truly, I appreciate it more than you know. If you want to see videos and critiques like this early, make sure to hop over, support me on Patreon. That's how I keep the lights on and I'm able to do this while being a full-time student throughout the school year. And also make sure that you subscribe so that you're notified when my critique of Batman Arkham Knight goes live very soon. But that's all from me. Thank you for watching. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out. Look who's laughing now!